Man, thank you so much and good morning to everyone. Glorious, glorious day. Uh, again, um, we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus and uh, getting pretty close to the end here. And um, I, I kind of struggled uh, a little bit, you know, just um, last week I went through chapter 23 so quickly and uh, sometimes I'll go back and I'll and I'll listen, and uh, um, and and then I'll I'll find things that, that I wanted to cover that I didn't, and um, and then I always look ahead. Remember, I tell you how important the context is whenever we study the scriptures, and so knowing that what I'm going into in Matthew 24 and on, um, it's going to be. Well, exciting weeks starting next week. Um, we're getting into Eschatology 101 um, for you Bible students, and we're going to be looking at the end days and prophecy and um, how Jesus had warned uh, his disciples about the end days. For them, he's going to actually allude to it again at the end of chapter 23 here when he talks about, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. But what I what I want to do, and uh, forgive me if it um, uh, if it seems a little redundant or repetitive, but I want to go back and look at the woes again, and uh, starting with Matthew chapter twenty three. Um, maybe we don't. Well, maybe we should do that. Um, We'll read through them again. And uh, I know the first service, I just read through them and I asked you to compare Matthew chapter 5 with, uh, remember, eight Beatitudes. And it's amazing to me that there's eight woes at the end. And by the way, this is something too that interests me, is this is his last public uh, message. This is his last public ministry. Um, a teaching for the crowds and for the scribes. This is their last warning. After this, it'll just be um, teachings for his disciples um, that are following him. And I find that intriguing or very interesting um, that, you know, he started his ministry with um, blessed are the poor and blessed are they that mourn and blessed are the meek and Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. And, and it's these blessed, oh, how happy, oh, how happy. That's how he starts his ministry. But he ends his ministry with a message of, I don't even like the word, but condemnation. You know, woe unto you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. That's some strong language. And again, I'm not going to belabor the, the, um, the definition of, of Pharisee and Sadducee. Uh, I had said last two weeks ago and last week as well is the reason I like to bring it up is because we all have the tendency to fall into that if we're not careful. Even as born again, we can become very pharisaic and sagacitic, meaning very legalistic or very liberal in our approach to God. And uh, again, not going to do that. But let's read through it together. Uh, we have uh, two minutes. <laughs> no kidding. But. Uh, then we'll stand. This is uh, verse 13. Woe unto the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for they shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye ne neither go in yourself, neither suffer you them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass the sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert. And when, you, when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell himself. Ouch, man, talk about that. Ooh. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by... The gold in the temple, he's a debtor. He's obligated to his promise or his vow. Well, you fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. 
But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty, he fools and blind. For whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, swears by it. And by all things thereon, whosoever swear by the temple, swears by it. And by him that dwelleth therein. And he that swear shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God. And by him that sitteth thereon. Well, unto you, you Pharisees, hypocrites, you pay tithes of mints and nanas and cumming, cumin, pardon me, and have omitted the weightier matter of the law, like just our judgment and mercy and faith. These ought ye have done, and not to leave the other undone, you blind guides. You strain at a gnat, you swallow a camel, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For you may clean the outside of the cup of the, and the platter, but within it they are full of um, exor- um, uh, extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup, the platter, and outside them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto white sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and uh, of cleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers uh, of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them uh, in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourself that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you generations of vipers. I love my old King James. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Boy, never mind. Therefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men, scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Berchias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Now verily I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Now just listen to the broken heart of our Lord. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stone them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a, a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Now behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth until ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Let's stand together, Bible in hand, and pray together. Father, again, Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for this journey that we've been on for the last couple years or so, Lord. And just to study your life and your ministry, following your footsteps, Lord. And Lord, I just know that our prayer, many of us, we want to become more like you. And we want to follow in your footsteps. Even Paul the Apostle would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And Lord, I know that on this side of eternity, Lord, we can only make those attempts. We can appeal to your spirit. We can ask for help. We can ask for empowerment, Lord. But I know, Lord, that one day, one day we will be face to face. We'll know all things as they're to be known. But, Lord, as we travel and finish up this journey, Lord, please continue to work in our hearts, making us and conforming us more and more to your image, Lord. Because I know, Lord, that more we're like you, the more our light will shine And the more people will see that light and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Lord, that's our desire in the days that we live. To let our light so shine. We love you, Lord. We ask for your anointing upon your word. 
upon our minds and hearts to receive everything. And we'll always be careful to ask it in your precious name. And everyone said together, Amen and Amen. Amen. You know, I'm going through the book of Daniel on Wednesday, Wednesday evening. And um, whenever you study those prophetic books um, and, you, and you start to look at, you know, just the news, what's happening around us, you know, I'm always intrigued, by the way, uh, with the weather. I know there's wars and rumors of wars. I know what's happening, you know, what's going on with Iran and the Soviets are getting involved in all that kind of stuff, which we'll cover in the weeks to come. But the thing that really got my hold of my, atten- uh, my, my attention last week was that virus that um, that now China is dealing with, and how you, how do you quarantine um, Wuhan, which is a city in China where there's over 11 million people, and they quarantine the whole place, and it's getting worse. It's spreading now to three other. The news is saying, and we were told that that in the last days that one of the signs would be that there would be, you know, infectious diseases, pestilence, it's infectious diseases. And so two things could either happen to the Christian. Either he's going to get really stoked and excited because he knows that his Lord is coming soon or fear seems to grip the heart of a lot of people. And I get that. I mean, who wants to talk about bloodshed and and pestilence, you know, it is kind of, um, it is fearful, it's frightening, you know, to think, especially for young parents, you know, that their children are growing up in a society, you know, like it is today. But, um, but the more you do study about prophecy and you study about, you know, our Lord coming back, um, it, has, it has an effect on a person's heart, and that is he purifies himself. That's exactly what the Bible says. He that hath that hope, he purifies his heart. And you look at these woes here in this um, this chapter here, you know. And and I and again the warning that I've kind of thrown laid out before us all, and I'm including myself. Be care careful of the Pharisaic and Sadducitic mentality, you know. Um, what we need to do in these last days is to make sure our hearts are continued. To be pure and, you know, to be pure. Amen, guys? And that whenever there is those issues, the shortcomings, however you want to title it, that we do bring them before the cross and before his blood and we ask him to cleanse us, you know, like daily and continually. And um, so I want to go through these again. And uh, again, I'll relate it probably back to Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. Um, but I want to just point out some of the things that we see today and what we, what we see back then and today and possibly what we're, we're going to see even in the future. The church, by the way, is in a very strange place now. Not our church. I'm talking about Christendom. You know, if you study it, there's a lot of strangeness out there today. And you guys know my heart about, you know, the church becoming um, a show and theatrics and light shows and smoke and flashing lights, you know. I, it's not going to happen. If you, it's not going to happen here until I'm dead. I mean, I'm sorry. I, 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 I want to be up with the times and all, and I want to reach the, the, you know, the millions and all. I'm just, just, I don't know. Uh, somebody starts putting a strobe light on me, I'm going to probably throw up or something. I, you know, it's just, I'm sorry. But again, in verse 13, he says, well, unto the scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, and we won't belabor that. But where it says, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven, and for you neither go in yourself and neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And uh, and well unto you, and I won't repeat this at every verse that says well unto you, but a more literal translation is what sorrow awaits for you. And, I, you know, I mean, how many times do we, um, you know, that we say that about things that um, are pharisaic? Well, teach that or well to a church, well unto you that do whatever. And, and because there's a lot of sorrow that does wait 
for churches that don't line up, for individuals that don't line up, for what the Bible literally says about sin and about judgment, about mercy, you know. But what he says there in that verse, and it's the latter part, is you do, you shut up the kingdom of heaven. And the idea is like you shut the door of heaven uh, against people's face. And the problem is you're not going in and you're not allowing them to go in. You literally, not only were the scribes and the Pharisees refusing to put their faith into Christ, um, but they're becoming an obstacle for other people. I mean, they, they had the audacity even to, to threaten anyone that would follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus and you uh, identify yourself with him, well, then you will be um, excommunicated. And for a, a Jew back in those days, excommunication, my goodness, that was like life. You know, everything evolved around the synagogue and Judaism and and so they they were putting obstacles. And Paul the Apostle even warned the church about putting obstacles um, before people that would, and, and, you know, for people to stumble over, you know. I make this a teaching on legalism, you know, but that was one of the obstacles, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, how you observe the Sabbath, and should Christians do that, and so on, and, and so on. But, you know, the, when I look at the Beatitudes, you know, instead of a prideful, pharisaic, you know, this, you know, I see blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and again, for the believer, um, we're bankrupt, guys. You know, for someone to act righteous and pious and they have, they have everything together, the truth of the matter is we have nothing that, that we can offer God that would enhance His purposes <laughs> to make heaven more glorious. Oh, when I get there, the heaven will be better off. No. Um, it's, no, we're poor. We, we fall short. Paul said that in Romans. We fall short. There's none righteous. And the only thing we can offer God uh, to God is our, our depraved hearts and our sin, and and say, "Here I am, you, as a living instrument. Here I take, you know, what, whatever you can use, you know." Uh, verse fourteen, he says, "Blessed are well unto you, you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you're going to receive." And I don't know if you highlight in your Bible, but man, I hear I, I say, a greater damnation. You receive a greater damnation. Literally, it means you're going to receive a severe punishment. Now, I don't know if I read something like that or I heard someone teaching that. I would pay. I would pay attention. He's again talking about how shamelessly they were, you know, that they they would devour a, woman, a widow's houses and 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 somehow seize their property, you know. And I shared this last week that some of the some of the Pharisees would, if they heard that, you know, lost their husband, uh, they would take that as an opportunity to go and say, hey, listen. Uh, for you know, forgive me, but for 1995, you know, we have a blue light special on prayers, and if you if you want, we can say a prayer and we could put a memorial up, but it's going to cost you this amount of money. And so what they were doing literally um, is they they were just um, taking advantage of, of of elderly people, of widows, and 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 listen, here's the thing about that. I mean, they were lining their pockets, the hierarchy of the system. They were lining their pockets with just hundreds of million of dollars of just this sort of these shenanigans. And, and again, gang, to church today, and I'm not saying everyone, every church, but they still pray. I'm not not P-R-A-Y, but they pray on the widow. And listen, the Bible tells us exactly what is pure and undefined, you know, um, works of, of, of sacredness. And that is to look out for the unfortunate, to look out for the widow, to look out for the, the orphan, not to prey upon them, not to see what you get. We should be knocking on the widow's house and say, how can I fix your hot water? How can, is, do you have groceries? We should be looking out for the single moms who are trying to raise their kids on their own without a husband there. Look out for the dad. And I know guys that are raising their kids, making sure they're okay. It's not a me. 
religion. It's a, it's a giveaway. It's another religion. It's not self-centered. It's other-centered. Does that make sense, church? And again, he says, just this sorrow awaits for you, the people who practice that. Verse 15, woe well, unto you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you can pass seas and lands to just make one proselyte, one convert. And, uh, and when he is made, when he's converted, he, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. And again, they would do that. The Pharisee and the Sadducee, they would go out, they want their disciples, they want their followers, so they're going to go to the, to whatever other parts of the world to try to make one convert. But the warning here is that there are some people who are just susceptible of this kind of, um, of religion, of this kind of practice. There are some people that have this in their mind. Not a shrink, I don't know why, but they have the beat me up mentality. And they, they're not happy unless somebody's ridiculing or maybe they're, they're, they're just being put down and they're, you know, they feel, I don't know. It's a sad condition if you ask me. And so when anyone comes and says, if you want to go to heaven, this is what you have to do. And then just piles on all the legalism and they start to feel bad and they just, you know, you look at the JWs. You know, there's such a works mentality. And the JWs will go to the other far side of the world trying to push this watchtower mentality. And it's nothing, it's filled with legalism. It's filled with just putting people down and selling things and, or handing out things. Mormonism, same way. I, I, thought, you know, I was in Africa, Zambia, Africa, and I was teaching inductive Bible study to the local church there. And they took me to another village. One evening, and I saw all these churches. They were built the same way. And I saw my, every four to five miles on this road. And I said, what are all these churches? No, my brother, they're not churches. They are uh, kingdom halls. And I, they go to that length just to convert, just to make one convert. And the Mormons are the same way. And it even exists within the Christian church. You know, you have the churches that are just so bent on and they'll go to all length to try just force someone into that mold. And there are some people who just gravitates to it. And again, the idea is what sorrow awaits. It would have been better if some people never came across a legalistic Christian. It would have been better. You know, it's easier to witness to someone who just knows that I'm a heroin addict, I'm a drug addict, I'm whatever. It's easier to witness to someone like that than it is to someone who is very pharisaic. It really is. And then he says this in verse 16. Woe unto you, you blind guides. And they were. They were blind guides. And he explains it. And he says, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it's nothing but whoever swears by the gold of the temple... He's a debtor. He's an obligator. He's binding to whatever he swore. You fools, blind. What's, what's, uh, for whether it's greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the God? What's more important, the temple itself or the gold? He goes in verse 18. Whosoever shall swear by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is upon it, he's guilty. Uh, you fool, you blind, what's greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Verse 20, shall swear by the altar, swears by it, and by all things thereon. And he's saying there is when you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it, and you're swearing, he says it's a com, it's combined. If that's, if that's what you're gonna do, you can't separate the two is the idea. In verse 21, whoso shall swear by the temple, he swears by it and by him that dwelleth therein. You're going to swear by the temple, got to remember who's dwelling in the temple. If that's what you're going to, he's not telling us to do that. And by the way, in Matthew, he tells them, don't swear at all, right? Remember that? How many of you guys remember that verse? Don't let your nay be what? And let your yea be? Yay. Just let it be. You don't have to go around and say, hey, I swear to God, God stick a pin in my eye or what I remember saying that as a kid once, you know. You don't have to do that. You can just and you know what's really a blessing, guys? 
when you have that reputation that you're just the person of your word. You know, whatever he says, you know, he's telling you the real deal and he doesn't play around with somatic. He just doesn't play around with words. And, and that's what they were doing. And that's what Jesus is saying. And by doing that, you're just, you're a, you're a blind leader. I'll explain a little bit more as we go down, down. He said, verse 22, he that swears by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sits upon, upon it. You know, these are just wordsmiths, you know, just smithing, uh, just, it's word games. See, what they would do is uh, they just came up with clever um, verbiage. They came up with clever ways to kind of get out of any vow they might they might have made. If they say, hey, I swear by the temple. Well, if you had quick wit, you well, he doesn't really mean that. It's not likely. But if he swears by the gold in the temple, all that. And he's saying, hey, what, what are you doing? You don't have just be a person of your word. You don't have to go around and say, hey, I swear by the Bible. Did you ever hear that? You know, you don't even swear on one Bible for crying out loud. You just, you just again, he's just telling them, um, you know. And again, you know what, guys? It's it's becoming more and more that we see this 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 shenanigans where people, if you if you teach the Word of God long enough, or you study it long long enough, you can manipulate the Bible to say anything you want. You you know that. I mean, you look at today and some of these great um, orators or, you know, mega church pastors and they they just have these great messages and all. And, and you know, and the way, the way they present the scriptures, you just, you don't get nothing out of it. It's just kind of like, okay, it's, there's no sting, there's no conviction, you just, there's maybe a little bit of a feel-good thing in it and... And yet the Bible tells us that the Word of God is a sharp instrument. It is meant to do spiritual surgery, to cut away the flesh of the heart. And, you know, the prophet would say, when I took your word into my mouth, it was bitter at first, I mean, sweet at first, but then I began to digest it. And now it's like bitterness. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the picture is like at first you can read the word and it's all, oh, it's great. I, but all of, now all of a sudden, because of the Holy Spirit behind it, you start to go, well, wait a minute, that's kind of me, you know. I'm like that person or that's what I'm, I'm being convicted about. And, and that, but that's why the, it, the word is given to us. And so he's telling them, stop with the word games. You know, so just... All we have to do as Christian, listen, is just give the gospel. If you want someone to be convicted of their sin and come to the cross, you don't have to go through all the, well, I, I swear by the temple, you know. Well, that doesn't mean too much. Well, how about I swear by the gold, really? Boy Scouts honor, you know. You don't have to be people like that. We can be individuals they can just simply tell them that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And if you want eternal life, then all you have to do is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. Would you like to be saved today? Now, either the word of God is true or it's a lie. Either what Jesus taught us was truth or fabrication. And I want to believe that the word is sharp, sharper than a double-edged sword. Amen, guys? And so, again, for you and I, I, I think of uh, Matthew chapter 5 or 6, it's about for you and I, we don't have to outwardly look like we're righteous. We don't have to outwardly look like we're pious, you know, like we're all that. Because it says, blessed are they who, that hunger and they thirst after righteousness. And that just means rightness, right onness. Just the right way. And the right way is God's way. The right way and the right onness is through the Word of God. And we don't have to play around with it. We don't have to look cute. And we don't have to take things out of it or add things to it. There's a grave warning about any man adding or taking away. Going on to another woe. 
Woe unto you, scribes and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithes of mints and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weight of your matter of the law, like judgment and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done, but the others undone. Again, he's just talking about how they would just go to the littlest, smallest uh, herb, you know, and where they would just start to count. Okay, uh, 10%. Okay, so I have a pile of, of anise here. So one for God, nine for me. And one for God and nine for me. And he goes, you guys struggle over that. Notice what he says, you blind guys out down here in verse 24. And yet you swallow a camel. Now, I made a joke about last week about like, yeah, there's, there's this Pharisee looks down at his milk and, or his cereal and he sees a little gnat and he has to get that gnat out. But he ignores the camel that's of swimming around in that thing. And, and But I found out that this was true, that the Pharisees were so worried about swallowing a gnat, which is an unclean thing, they would strain their water even before they would in case a gnat had landed in it. A little bit on top. I mean, that's a little over the top, wouldn't you think? But some of the things that Christians say, well, this is what I have to do and this is what I have to adhere to. And it's almost like this... Man, you're struggling over that? Really? You know, back in the day, I mean, it was a, a while ago, but I remember the, the church used to struggle with, can women wear pantsuits? I'm not kidding. I was during that time period when I was a Christian. The church was worried whether girls could wear pants. Now girls wear pants with a hundred holes in them. The younger, the older generation would roll over in their graves if they saw that. You know, and then, and then it was, to, or we, should they wear makeup? I'm not kidding. The church would divide over, should women need makeup? And I'm not making any jokes tonight, today about that, you know. You know, the, they, they did that. What is really carrying a burden on the Sabbath? Should women wear long eyelashes, fake eyelashes? Well, some of them are, it is carrying a, a bird. I, I don't know how you open your eyes, some of you girls with those things. But um, be that as it may, you know, but people struggle over that, the do's and the don'ts. And, and what, they, what, they, what they really leave out is that, ju- ju- you know, justice. That's what judgment means in verse. Really, justice is a better translation. And you leave out mercy and you leave out, and you, and you leave out faith. And you leave out, you know, being forgiven. And you leave out what Jesus can do for someone. You leave out, and you're all bent up, bent out of shape. Whether, you know, we're practicing these certain things about, do you teach tithing? You know, I would love to teach tithing. Man, would I. But I couldn't do it with a clean, a, a clear conscience. But I'll tell you what. I, I know what the Lord does say about giving. And when I come across it, I'll teach about it. God loves people who give. He loves it. And some people have that conviction in their hearts by the Holy Spirit, not by this pulpit, that they do tithe. And that's how the electric stays on. And that's how the heater keeps running. And that's how things are done, you know. But people, and you say, you should do these things. But my good, not, not, not at the expense of all this. Man, you got to keep the real thing the real thing. Don't make minors a minor on the majors. Does that make sense, church? He goes on, I love how he calls them again, blind guides. You know, in verse 25, he says, Well, unto you, you scribes, you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup of the, and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and, and access. You blind Pharisees, first cleanse, listen to what he says, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Again, he says, you're so careful about the exterior, the outside of the cup and the dish, but you're not, you're not concerned about inside of it. I mean, you've seen that, haven't you guys? You pick up a cup and then all of a sudden you're going to go to the coffee and you look in it and there's a lot of nasties in there. He says, you blind guides, that's what you're like. People are looking at you and they're saying, oh, wow, look at that. 
you know, Sam the Sadducee and Phil the Pharisee. Look how they're all, they're looking there. Man, I wish I was like them. How do I become like you, Phil? How do I become like you? Well, it's the way you tithe. Well, it's the way you pray. Well, it's the way you do this and the way you do that. And, you know, and Jesus taught in Matthew chapter five, all those things. Yes, they're important. You need to do those things. You need to pray. You need to give, but do it in secret. You don't have to do it to be seen of men. Your father who sees you in secret, he'll reward you openly. But that's in the eternal, not here. And again, they were so worried about the inside. And again, I think of Matthew chapter 5, where he says in the Beatitudes that blessed are the what? Pure in heart. Hey, Christian, that's the only thing you need to be concerned about today in the times that we live is, is your heart, right? Guard your heart for out of it flows all the issues of life. And I don't mean muscle pumping blood through our veins. He's literally talking about the purity of our hearts, the spiritual place, the spiritual seat where Christ lives and dwells in our lives. He goes on and he says, in, in light of this purity, he says, well, unto you in verse 27, you hypocrites, you're like the whitewashed sepulchers. For indeed, you appear a beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all, all unclean, uh, uncleanness. And again, the same exhortation as we saw in verse 26. Even so, outwardly you appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and of um, an iniquity. Again, it's outwardly they looked okay, but inwardly they were full of... Well, the, my, the picture is whatever a sepulcher holds and it's decay, decaying flesh it's stench and it's filled with 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 decaying flesh and he goes hey you know paul said again within me dwells no good thing right all our isaiah 56 all our righteousnesses are like what a filthy rag he goes he goes all this hypocrisy you're like a whitewashed sepulcher and again the reason they used to whitewash the sepulcher was so that a Jew wouldn't accidentally touch one and become unclean. But then later, as time went on, they started to decorate the sepulchers. But inside, inside they're still filled of the same thing. Every time, gang, this is just my heart. Every time I read text, a text like this where it's challenging me about the external versus the internal what I appear like before you. I mean, sometimes I'll come up here and I'll go, good morning, everyone. Like, what a glorious day. You think some things, do you think sometimes, man, that guy always has good mornings, don't he, you know? You know, and I'm not going to come up here and go, pray for me and Erm, we just had a fight out back. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm never going to come out and throw out my laundry like that, you know? But we all struggle with this subject. We all do. And that's why the heavy warning about just be careful. Just be real. Be people of your word. You know, don't walk around with a kind of a righteous attitude. There's none righteous. No, not one. Let's walk around like we're um, blood washed and bought and spirit filled, right? But I always go to Psalms 51. And you're welcome to turn there, but I'm going to paraphrase it for you. So in Psalms 51, this is how it says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. See, that's how I know God can will always have mercy. And it is the weightier matter of a believer's life. He goes, because of your great compassion, blot out my iniquity, I think, in my old king, but. What it literally means is, would you just blot out the stain of sin? Would you wash me? Just take it away. I don't want to remember about my BC days. I don't want to remember about the hurt that I might have caused people. You know, just blot, take it away. He goes on, he says, wash me from all my guilt. And I've lately been hearing a lot of Christians walking around and And they're still riddled with guilt, plagued with guilt. 
And it has an effect. It does. It spills over into their daily lives. And and they become these Eeyore Christians. And and I, we make fun of that, you know. You know, and they walk around like Eeyores. But many times it's because they're just guilt-ridden. They don't understand the grace and the mercies of God, which is the weightier matter. They don't understand any of that yet. Maybe they need to grow in it or maybe they need to be exhorted. But the psalmist said here, purify, um, wash me from my guilt and purify me from my sin. I, and this is David, this is his confession. He says, I recognize my rebellion. Now, I guess we could study the scriptures and find David's rebellion. But what he says after that, just he says this, he goes, it haunts me. David said, my rebellion haunts me. And I wonder, with the Pharisees and the scribes, did their rebellion haunt them? I don't think so. Maybe a Nicodemus, someone else that was listening to Jesus' teaching, but that's exactly what David prayed there. I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. And one thing that he recognized is that against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, we can. We can sin against each other. The Bible even talks about that. When we do, we go and we say, hey, man, I'm sorry. Forgive me. If you have to, you know, you know, and bring somebody, you know, there's ways to be restored. But this is how we're restored when we sin against God. When we have to recognize that our sin is against him and him alone. And that we've done this thing in his sight and in his sight alone. He then says, and it's almost, I don't know if he's trying to enlighten God. I know that sounds foolish, but he comes out and he goes, for I was born a sinner. Maybe that's good to remind us ourselves now and then. When we do fall and we have to first John it, just kind of softly remind yourselves. You're not all that. You know, you were born a sinner. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. Does that make sense, guys? And then he goes on and he says, but you've dishonored honesty. That's what David said. You dishonor honesty from the word or from the womb, teaching me wisdom. And here again, his cry is to purify him from his sin, to wash him. To make him whiter than snow. You know, I look at these Pharisees. You know, they appeared to be beautiful outwardly. But you know what, gang? The only place God wants you to appear beautifully or beautiful is inwardly, not outwardly. And the only way to do that is to call upon him. Admit, I'm a sinner. I blew it today, Lord. I need you to cleanse me. And I can and I know you're faithful and you're just to forgive me of all. Anybody been struggling with the, the sense of condemnation lately? You just don't feel like you measure up, you just feel like you're always falling short. Oh man, all you have to do is go to him and kneel before him and just recognize I am a sinner and I just want you to cleanse my heart. He goes on in verse twenty nine. Back in verse 23, but he says, Woe unto you, scribes and you Pharisees, because you build tombs for the prophets and you garnish the sepulchers. You kind of, you, you put flowers around them. Uh, and you say, well, if I'd been in the days of, the, my, of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. If we had lived during those days, Lived during the days of our ancestors, man. We would not have done to Isaiah what they did. We would not have done to Ezekiel and all the different prophets, you know. But he says this, verse 31. Wherefore, you be witness unto yourselves. For you are the children of them which kill the prophet. So fill up ye then the measure of your father's. You're serpents, you generation of vipers. How are you going to escape the damnation of hell? Man, that is some harsh language, isn't it? How are you going to escape? You know, he, by just simply saying this statement, this crazy, ridiculous thing, if we were alive back then, 
we would not have done it. Well, yes, you would. Because you're still cut from the same cloth. You're still going around with a pharisaic, sadducitic, scribitic. That's another Harryism, but we'll throw it in there. Um, but but you're not that different than from your forefathers. And you know why we can say that with certainty? It's because they were planning on murdering Jesus. Their hearts were just as dark as all their forefathers were. That's why, again, gang, this this idea that uh, I was raised a Catholic and going to be a Catholic and my kids are going to be Catholics or I was raised a Baptist and going to be a Baptist and I'm, my kids are going to be Baptists or I was raised at Calvary Chapelite and I'm a Calvary Chapelite now and my kids are going to be Calvary Chapelite or I'll banish them from Calvary Chapel or what? Really? You know, when we get to heaven, gang, there's no special section for the Calvary Chapelites. If you, th- you get to heaven, you see Pete. Hey, where, where's Calvary Chapel at? <laughs> well, we do that, don't we? We move away. Where's another Calvary Chapel? What's wrong with the Baptist church? What's wrong with this? If they're teaching the gospel and you've grown in your faith and you know the word of God, you'll see the potholes. You'll go around them. You've got to go where God's leading you to go. Does that make sense, church? i got to. Maybe not a Catholic church, but I'm just saying. Um, my Catholic brothers and sisters, but that's a wide pothole to get around. But, uh, but he calls them brood, generations of vipers. And why that? Because vipers were poisonous. And he's just saying, man, you're just going to get po- poisoned by these, this mentality. And he goes, verse 34, Therefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you're going to kill and crucify? Huh. Some of them you're going to scourge in your synagogues? And you persecute them from city to city? You know what he's talking about there? He's kind of giving them a, a, a prelude to, to the book of Acts. This is exactly what the early church is going to have to go through after his ascension. When the church starts, they're going to be scattered abroad through persecution. Some of the Christians back then were crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul the apostle had his head cut off. James was cut asunder. I mean, all of them went through some horrible, horrible martyr's death. And he goes, this is what you're... So you're not that far from being like your ancestors. You're going to do this to me, you're going to Jesus, you're going to do this to Jesus, you're going to do this to the prophets that I'm going to send to you, you're going to do this to John the Baptist. They're going to crucify and scourge. Verse 35, he says, that upon you may come all the righteous bloodshed upon the earth. You're going to be held responsible, in other words. Just like your forefathers. From the blood of Abel. And by the way, why did he use Abel? You know, he could have. Well, first of all, the Hebrew Bible is from um, A to Z. And, and I think that's why he used Abel. Um, uh, Zacharias there. Son of Bukiah. Uh, but, um, you know, the, why did um, um, Cain kill Abel? Um, did I get that? Or is it Abel killed Cain? But anyway, why, why did Cain kill Abel? It was jealousy, wasn't it? One's gift was received and the other wasn't. And all the martyrdom that took place in the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament, a lot of it was just over jealousy. Jealousy, man, that's a powerful thing in a person's life. And that's just something that we have to guard our hearts against. You know, again, and I think the way you do that is just to remember that who you are, sinner saved by grace. He goes on and he says, verily I say unto you in verse 36, all these things shall come upon this generation. Again, they're going to be responsible. 
uh, for the murders of all the godly people. And, uh, and then in, uh, he says something here in verse 37. I'm missing something. Verse 36 says, Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon over upon this generation. And again, what he's speaking of there is what's going to happen in just about 40 years after this. Um, this 10th legion, Roman legion um, soldier, Rome, Roman soldiers are going to come in with Titus. They're going to besiege the city of Jerusalem. And um, there's going to be a mass killing. And um, people are going to die at a rapid rate inside. And stones are going to be toppled over. The temple is going to be burned and taken apart. And that's why he cries out in verse 37 where he says, O Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and you stone them which are sent to thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings but you would not. And what he's saying there is you wouldn't let me. He says there, behold, your, left, your house is left to you desolate. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. You know, you would walk in after that. And it would not only be um, torn apart, but it'd be totally empty. The furnishings were taken. You know, you go to tit- the Titus Arch in Rome today, you can see... Etched right in the side of the wall of the Roman, that 10th Roman legion, carrying all the temple furnishings out, some believe, all the way back to Rome. We don't know, but it was totally empty. And for I say to you, ye shall not see me henceforth until you shall say, Blessed he that comes in the name of the Lord. And again, this is, you know, ushering us into the next couple chapters, uh, 24 Talking about, you know, the end days, our eschatology. But there is going to come a day, gang, where even Israel itself will say, well, they'll see him coming back with the honest thigh written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And there will be a declaration of he that comes. And he is coming. It's not talking about the rapture of the church. He's talking about his second coming. And again, going into the next couple chapters, read ahead. Read it and reread it and reread it, right? And then you'll be so familiar with it. And, uh, and, I th- and the thing that will happen, let me have your attention. The thing that will happen in your heart, I guarantee it, you'll, be, you'll, you'll begin to be challenged in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know, if I'm living in the day where I could... See and witness the rapture of the church. Am I the witness that God has called me to be? Or am I more like the Pharisee and the Sadducee? Am I more religious than I am just a child of God? I know I go through it and it challenges my heart every time I do it. And I'll tell you, the more I'm challenged, the more the conviction sets in. And I just want to get Romans chapter 12. One of my favorite sections. I therefore beseech you by the mercies of God to present yourself as a living sacrifice, which is holy and reasonable. Means that's the most logical thing you could do in these last days. Let's stand together.